Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? Um, we hope that you're having an excellent week. Yes, we do. Um, but. We want to point something out at the top of the show here, because um, statistically speaking, if you are listening to this show, you probably have not gone over to iTunes and left us a review. I say that because very few people have gone over to iTunes and left us a review. So by the law of averages, you are probably someone who could go do that. Wouldn't take you much time, and it would help us out. Now, you're not just a person who could do that by the law of averages. You're a person who could do that by virtue of the fact that it's very easy to do. <laughs> and frankly, I'm offended because I know I know you, Baltimoreans listener. I know you to be a talented, smart, thoughtful, and perhaps most relevantly here, technologically aware, <laughs> a, tu- a tuned-in person yeah. in terms of gizmos and gadgetry. And you're probably holding a device in your hand right now, also statistically, most likely that you're holding... A device in your hand right now that was manufactured by, well, let me back up. <laughs> it was designed by Apple in California, but it was manufactured at the Foxconn plant in China, <laughs> which is a separate conversation. <laughs> but this device gives you direct and intimate access to the very platforms you would need to go leave an iTunes review. Very intimate. <laughs> very intimate and very direct. So... Um, we apologize for um, adding to the 64% of podcast time spent pushing the podcast that you are listening to at any given moment. I also but, apologize for my intimate voice, which probably terrified most of you. <laughs> but um, if you would just go over and leave the review, we could stop talking about it and uh, everyone would be much happier. Think of think of what you could have done with the time you've just spent listening to us ask you for an iTunes review. Because that is so far uh, two minutes. It's a lot of time. That's you're never going to get back, Baltimore Hunts listener. You could have brushed your teeth for the duration recommended by the American Dental Association. You could be three quarters of the way through a burrito if you eat burritos at the speed that Sam and I eat burritos. <laughs> which is not recommended by the American Medical Association. No, but it is America recommended by the Hootenanny Studios Party Association. We are also proud members of the uh, Baltimore Sports Report Network. Indeed we are. Along, we should add, with our sister wife programs, uh, Section 336... Bird's Eye View, the Baltimore Sports Report podcast. Of course. And the artists, maybe formerly known (laughs) as Oriole Spastics, and now, at least on Twitter, going by just the Spastics. Also, not to call anybody out here. Yeah, it's been been a while, Spastics. uh, Gentlemen. Get back on your game. Power power on the microphones and and bring back your brilliance, please. Technically, we are also Sister Wife Podcasts to What the Puck which I've actually recently listened to the last three episodes of and have been quite enjoying. A fine, Good job, gentlemen. A fine program. Don't know much about the hockey, but still enjoying it. Hey, I just thought of a great way to learn about hockey. Check out <laughs> What the Puck. Indeed. Um, we are also, uh, we're now, what, five minutes in? At, at least. Here, <laughs> five minutes into episode 73. Were we um, ever so young? 73 is, is the number of home runs, obviously, 
hit by Barry Bonds. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. In his uh, record-obliterating campaign, um, and it's also the number of losses suffered by the uh, 76ers in their NBA all-time worst 1972-1973 campaign, um, in which they concluded with a 9-73 and mark, which is the worst losing percentage, I believe, of any professional sports team of all time. <laughs> but Sam, man cannot live on facts alone. Uh, as we are both well aware, we must feed our senses in many myriad ways, uh, and these dry numbers don't seem to me to get at the heart of the number 73. Mm. Uh, many of my intros, as, as you Baltimoreans listeners are aware, often delve into the statistical. But for the number 73, I went searching for other ways to experience um, this, this, this digit. Ah. The song you're hearing right now is the track Clay by the group called The Sounds of 73. Now, I don't know when they were naming their group if they meant the year 1973 by their name, but to me, this sits in very nicely for the sound of 73. And that means that the Proustian sense memory triggered here takes me to the Coy's barn when I was maybe 12 or 13 years old. So the sound of 73, as it turns out, is the sound of warm guitars spilling out of the large loading dock doors as my friends and I ran around in the dark. It's the sound of frost on long clumps of grass and of my breath dragoning out in short spurts of smoke. And it's the sound of running with no real place to get to, but because of that giddy fear that something is chasing you in the dark. It's the sound of meeting friends made strangers by the November night. And it's the sound of standing and breathing and surveying the terrain and making a strategy and a plan and then running back off into that night. It's the sound of heading into the warm, listening to the buzz of adult voices, grabbing a cookie and heading back out to continue the vital tasks that were at hand. The taste of 73, by the way, is acidic and tart, with a hint of rosemary and the smell of burning tinfoil. We would be remiss without wishing a happy birthday to young Mr. Frank Arawa, or as he's often known around the water cooler, Voltaire. The uh, famed satirist and polemic wrote about pretty much everything in every topic, and he wrote about it in pretty much any form you can imagine, although I don't believe he had a podcast. Um, he is credited with one of my favorite lines of all time. I do not agree, sir, with what you have to say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. He probably didn't say that in English, to be fair, but you get the point. Um, and he also, and this is probably more apropos of baseball and all things Baltimore Orioles, allegedly said, God is a comedian playing to an audience afraid to laugh. Voltaire would be 319 years old today. <laughs> now, Alan, <laughs> I, I feel many things listening to your customarily brilliant introduction, but among them, I feel anger at you. Uh-oh. <laughs> that it took you 72 episodes <laughs> to 
incorporate Marcel Proust yeah, into your introduction. That's, 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 that's embarrassing. Now, I say that not just because you are sort of the resident uh, uh, literature aficionado of our highly pretentious baseball podcast, <laughs> so shame on you, but I say shame on you in particular because you're a person, and I hope you don't mind if I reveal this to the listening audience, who has a tattoo inspired <laughs> by Marcel Proust on the calf muscle of his leg, which is possibly the dorkiest thing <laughs> that anyone, that has, anyone ever has ever done. It's true. It's true. Well, in my defense, um, it is the water in which I swim to the extent that it's often hard to see it. You know, like yeah, the whole you're gonna story, have to run that one by me one more story time. about the fish who never doesn't understand what water is because he spends all of his time navigating through it. Ah, uh, yes, doesn't David have a Foster word Wallace. for water. Indeed, mm. trying to keep that literary, you know, nicely dorkdom at a at a at a high here. But no, I'm with you. I'm I'm barely keeping up, but I'm with you. <laughs> Proust is 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 so saturated, right? That I didn't even think to bring it up because it's already like 16 percent of my brain at any given time. <laughs> I see. I see. I see. So much like the fish in David Foster Wallace's uh, famous valedictory address yes. to the students at Kenyon College. Valedictory address? Um, mm, uh, he was, he commencement was the address? commencement address. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Uh, much as he, he, in his story, the fish learns to look around and say, this is water. This is water. Uh, I'd like you, Alan Smith, to, to, to start saying to yourself whenever ne- necessary, this is Proustian. <laughs> this is Proustian. So many things are, though. <laughs> Least of all, baseball. <laughs> Which we will now discuss. Uh, I'm actually going to counter that and say, in many ways, most of all, baseball. Mm. Because the whole notion of Proustian memory is a smell or a sound or a sense that triggers an actual physical neuron. Um, I learned this, uh, that there is actually physiology behind this. It's not just, you know, what we think about. Um, learned this from Breaking Bad, actually. <laughs> that uh, there's actually a... Yet another heady <laughs> reference from Alan Smith. <laughs> there's actually a, a neuron triggered, a neural pathway that is created when you're a child around a sense and, and an experience. For example, um, hearing the crack of the bat or tasting Cracker Jacks creates a strong sensory memory that often is associated with other things beyond just baseball, family, um, uh, uh, safety, um, um, father-son relations. So that in fact, the, the, the repetition of those things, of the experience of watching baseball, is actually triggering the same neural pathway that has different associations with it as part of our, our, our physical brain chemistry when we watch baseball. You're not going to believe this, and I, I don't think our listeners are going to believe this, <laughs> but this is actually a more perfect segue to what I wanted to talk about today <laughs> than I could possibly have hoped for. Excellent. Because what I would like to talk about today, Alan, is... The sports page. Ah. I would like to talk about that glorious and beautiful moment in the not-too-distant past <laughs> when, in order to find out what had transpired in a baseball game uh-huh. the night before, uh-huh. we had to open a newspaper. Yeah. And we had to spread it out before us. And on usually 
at least two facing pages. Mm-hmm. We had a a wall to wall assemblage of of reporting statistics and standings and analysis. Usually, very little analysis. If I remember correctly, like three or four sentences of analysis per game. Well. If you're the Daily Progress of Charlottesville, Virginia. <laughs> now, in the Washington Post, uh-huh. in the Washington Post, you had a couple paragraphs for each game. Right. For each game. Um, now, I was thinking about this recently because I was trying to figure out, you know, why um, things can seem in baseball, as in life, so disposable mm. lately. Um this was prompted by the uh, disposal <laughs> of the Prince Fielder contract or, by the Detroit Tigers. Or Turner Field. By or the Turner Atlanta Field. Braves. Exactly. Um, and, and I was thinking about the fact that, that when, when I used to go, and I, rem- I have very vivid memories of this, I remember going to the beach in the summers with my dad, uh, and I remember um, waking up very early in the morning so that I could be up when he was up, I remember sitting impatiently and like picking my fingernails while he laced up his his Asics sneakers. Mm. I remember that we would get in the car and we would drive to the Wellfleet Market and we would pick up the Cape Cod Times and then we would bring it home and then I would have to sit and wait Wow! while he spent 90 minutes, two hours, pouring over every box score, all the standings, all the reporting on every game that had happened the night before. And then and only then, and I would swear him to secrecy about what had happened in the Orioles game. I would say to him, I don't want, don't tell me with your face what <laughs> happened in the game because I, I want to, I want to discover it myself when I look at the newspaper. Wow. And then I would, and then finally it would be my turn. And I remember he would hand it to me and I would close my eyes and I would take a deep breath and then I would open my eyes and I would have to look on the page for where the Orioles box score was because the because Wellfleet was close to Boston. They always had the Red Sox score in the upper left-hand corner. And then your team's game uh, could be anywhere else on the page. Right. And sometimes if it had ended late the night before, it wasn't even there. <laughs> West Coast games. And you wouldn't know yeah. what had happened until the next day. So in that moment, I would find out did the Orioles win? What was the score? What were the stats? Um, and everything was presented to me as this this large um, collected narrative of the night before. Um, and you you could really sit there for like two hours and relive the events of baseball mm-hmm. the night before through all this stuff that was on the printed page and. The responsibility of the sports page at that time was to tell you in meticulous detail the story of the night before. Right. And that, and and then, and this was the other thing, because you hadn't been able to watch it, because you couldn't stream it on a device, and because it was there in physical form in front of you, it had, it had weight, it had physical presence in your day. And, and you could live in that, mo- in that uh, not moment, you could live in that um, invented memory mm. of the baseball games the night before for as long as you wanted to. Because there were, you know, you could go through line by line every single box score. You could, you could look and see 
how many games behind everybody was in the standings. You could look at what the change was. Um, and then when you had done all of that, you would close the newspaper <laughs> and you would put baseball away for the day. Yep. That was it. You weren't going to interact with baseball again until the next morning. It had no other way in. Because you couldn't. Right. There was no way to do it. Now, I was thinking about now. Right. When you know moment to moment. Right. No matter, well, not no matter where you are, but almost anywhere you are. You know what's happening, not just in the Orioles game. In, in every other game that's being played that night. You can find it all out instantaneously. Um, and by the time the next morning comes, it's already about... Ancient history. It, yeah, it's ancient history, and it's already about the implications right. of what happened the night before because the people writing the stories know that you already know what happened. They no longer have to... We've moved into spin. Yeah, they no longer have to have to say, wait a minute, this is the shit that happened last <laughs> night. You know? Uh, Mike Gallego hit two home runs. Mike Gallego, <laughs> are you insane? Who let that happen? That's over. That's right. over. Because by the right. time it's Sports the next Center morning, has done it. We've all seen it. We've all yeah. glorified it or, or been horrified by it. There's gifs. There's 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 you know uh, there's nine different talking heads going on and on about it. We've already recorded a podcast about it. It's already happened. <laughs> And I, now, I'm I'm saying this, and and I don't mean to suggest necessarily that this was a better time, but I do think it is an interesting way of looking at the prevalence and um, influence of sabermetrics now. Hmm. Because what has happened is the reason I think we used to be part of the reason that we used to be so fixated on what we now see as more basic statistics. Wins, losses, strikeouts, home runs, walks, these sort of more matter-of-fact, non-analytical types of stats, is because that was really all that baseball minds had time to tabulate. Yeah. Because they were so busy reconstructing for you. And I, I would argue that those stats also do a better job of maybe not painting a picture with full color, but painting a paint-by-numbers version. I mean, the scorecard, yes. a baseball scorecard, gives you a version of a game. Yes. Well, so I, and I want to talk about scorecards in a minute because okay. th that okay. was part of this, this kind of thought process for me. Um, but because all of that stuff is now uh, captured in real time yeah. and tabulated automatically and kind of washed away almost instantly by the media environment that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. I think that is part of the reason that people are now looking for a new kind of statistical analysis, hmm. a kind of statistical analysis that says, okay, if this stuff is already um, uh, collected and analyzed almost as soon as it happens, what can we do that takes things to the next level? What can we do that takes all that real-time information and 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 spits it out into uh, a level of interpretation like uh, wins against replacements, say. Or are you comfortable with the idea that despite both of our um, ambivalence toward the sabermetrics movement, <laughs> are you comfortable with the idea that that is answering 
um, the same desire that we often talk about for coherent year-long narrative. That calculating, say, wins against replacement for a season, or these metrics that don't tell you bupkis about a single game, but tell you about a player's performance over a month or six months or a year, is that, in fact, an acknowledgement of, of, of the thing we're talking about here, which is every moment is so captured as to become fleeting. Every moment doesn't have the weight that a game used to have, that instead we are looking for to anything we can find to create a season-long or a month-long narrative and are thus looking to these sort of more complicated measurements to provide that story in, in, in chunks that are defined and meaningful for us. My answer to the question that you have just asked is going to sound mucho equivocating. <laughs> uh, in part because I'm figuring it out in real time. Sure. But yes and no. In summary, yes and no. To expound. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I guess the the ultimate point that I want to make about all this is is I was thinking about the the Prince Fielder for Ian Kinsler trade. Yeah. Which on paper, when you first read about it, your response is, "What the fuck just happened? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense." Prince Fielder is a stud. Ian Kinsler is a guy who had two or three truly great seasons and since then has been you know, a valuable second baseman, but not that good. Prince Fielder just signed this gazonka contract. It doesn't make any sense for Detroit to make, to just like dump him so quickly. Uh, they got almost nothing in return. They're paying Texas an additional $30 million as part of the deal. What happened? But if you think about it, that type of thinking, that's a heart argument. Sure. That's a narrative argument. But actually, almost everybody with an advanced baseball mind, and I'm not including either of us in that, <laughs> to be clear to the people listening at home, um, anybody with an advanced baseball mind so far in the you know 24 hours since this has taken place who's looked at this has said, clear win for Detroit. Clear win. And this is why. Huh. Detroit knows that the last three or four years of that Prince Fielder contract are going to be a disaster. Yeah, They're they knew it be, when they signed him. They knew it when they signed him. They also know that they have probably another Miguel Cabrera extension lurking on the horizon. Miguel Cabrera, unquestionably a more valuable player. Yes. They also know that Miguel Cabrera was injured for the first time in his career this year, in part from having to play third base. They also know that they've committed a tremendous amount of money to Justin Verlander, who over the course of the next few years, is going to be more valuable than Prince Fielder would be. Okay. They also know that if they, they that they have Anibal Sanchez, and they also know that if they can, instead of paying stupid money to Prince Fielder, pay stupid money to Max Scherzer, yeah. they're going to get more yeah. for their dollar in the immediate term. Yep. And think when you look at it that way, it actually makes perfect sense. Yeah. And it it brings and us... And Kinsler's not bad. And Kinsler's not bad. And yeah. He's not bad at all. He's 31, and he's going to break at some point. Sure. But he's not bad. Sure. But when he breaks, it'll be at a price of... I forget what the average annual value of his contract is. Let's say it's $13 million. Yeah. 
better to be paying a broken man $13 million than $25 million. Yeah. No brainer. Prince is going to fall off a ledge at some point here. And, and may already have started to. Yeah. But the thing that this all made me realize is it's so our automatic, our default as, as fans when, when front offices make decisions is to want them to lead with their heart. Mm-hmm. And from their perspective, that is absurd. Yeah. It's absurd. They are, they are making decisions with the personal fortune of an individual. In the Tigers case, it's Mike, this guy, Mike Illich, who <laughs> is an insanely rich old man who wants to have a winning baseball team. And Dave Dombrowski, who's the general manager of the Tigers, has been entrusted with this giant pool of money to build a winning <laughs> baseball team for as many years as possible. It can't be about heart for him. No. It can't. Because if he makes a decision based on heart and and it's wrong, <laughs> he has wasted the personal fortune of the guy who owns the team. Right. And so that's why the best general man, and I'm not saying all general managers are smart the way Dave Dombrowski is smart. Many of them are stupid. <laughs> but, Possibly the manager of the Rangers. <laughs> potentially. Um, but... Uh, but do you know what I mean? The, the ones who are really smart, yeah, 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 are always doing what he's doing. And if you're the t- and if you're a Tigers fan, I'm sure today was a very weird day for you. Yeah. Except that you can't you if you're if you're a general manager, you can't look at these players as um, to some extent. Yes, you have to look at them as as cultural commodities. Mm-hmm. But what you really have to do is look at them as like cows and i'm not just saying that because we're talking about prince fielder (laughs) uh, or horses maybe is is a better thing but how many more races does this horse have left production commodities yeah and or how much more milk am i going to get from this cow right you know uh is it not going to be what i want then i need to get rid of it and get as much as i can in return so that i can keep this farm churning out hamburgers and uh, butter. I, another, another. Let's not go too far with that. Another good analogy, analogy but <laughs> another good analogy may be a stock. Um, I like that one much better. The stock market and and sort of watching that process, and you have to look at, you know, is Prince Fielder at his most valuable right now? Can I get the most for him? Um, is he going to be useful to my team? What's he going to be worth to my team? Uh, I still think that giving up Prince Fielder and Miguel Cabrera as a one-two punch is. Uh, sad for the fans of baseball because that's a fun thing to watch happen. It's a fun but, thing to watch happen, but if you're the Tigers, it hasn't won you a World Series. Sure, sure, it's true. And is, I mean, Kinsler and Prince Fielder were roughly equivalent offensive contributors last year. Hmm. Kinsler, not as feared as Prince Fielder. Yeah. But... It's it's not out of the question to think that they could be roughly approximate offensive contributors again next year. Hmm. Plus, you get the the you defensive get, value, and you get Max Scherzer, <laughs> and and hopefully, if if this is how it works out, you get to keep Max Scherzer, and you're much more likely you give your team more chances to win on an inning to inning basis with Max Scherzer on the mound every fifth day than you do paying Prince Fielder at age 34 to fly out to the warning track mm-hmm. in right field. And eat someone's nachos. And eat someone's nachos. 
Now, we sat here and screamed into these microphones for the Orioles to sign Prince Fielder sure. a couple of off-seasons ago. But there's a good chance that had they done that, and then they flipped him just now for Ian Kinsler, we'd be pretty happy about it. Yeah. Now, <laughs> people listening at home right now may be curious what the connection <laughs> between the sports page and this whole and and the trade uh the, the biggest trade of the offseason so far is um well fuck you people listening at home <laughs> figure it out <laughs> you guys if you can't hang then you know turn it off and you know go listen to uh i don't know careful <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i don't know what i would even say there go listen to um go listen to uh pete seeger album because <laughs> Really, sure. he's a, a folk pioneer. <laughs> he's um, good, a, a, an amazing musician. <laughs> um, but I guess uh, I, I I guess I feel like the connection is um, that we're at this very interesting moment as baseball fans, mm. where uh, our hearts are still in the sports page type of place. You know, we still um, we still view. Uh, we still view the Knights baseball games as um, a collection of incredible stories, some with in very personal implications for us, some with less personal implications for us. Uh, and we're addicted to the constant presence of that in our lives. But the media environment that we are di that we that we in which we consume those baseball games has actually brought us closer to the mindset that general managers have had to operate under for a long time, mm. which is this is fluid. There's another game tomorrow. There's another season next year. And I have this many contracts and I have this much money to play with. And yesterday happened already. And what's next? Yeah. And um, I think that is why Sabermetrics has emerged uh, in the middle of those two, those two Meridian points as this way for for fans to to feel um closer to um to the to that appeal yeah because because sabermetrics allows us uh to maintain some of the story you know as michael claire said when he was on this show i thought this was a really good point sabermetrics are story stats sure you just have to look at the story from a little bit farther away yeah yeah well, this is going to seem um, incredibly quaint on Baltimoreans episode 730 when we, our experience of baseball comes entirely through a retinal and nasal implant of each baseball player. And as they stride to the plate, we are experiencing not only what they see, but what they feel and what they fear. <laughs> You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. This is Alan Smith. My name is Sam Dingman, and Alan, if I could briefly, I did want to go back to the point that you made about scorecards. I'm going to, um, while saying I would love to go back to that point, <laughs> challenge that we do anything on this show briefly. <laughs> That's true. It's not really in our genetic makeup, as it, it turns isn't. out. It, it isn't. Um... 
It isn't. I can think of several episodes in our run of 73 to this point where we've said, I think it's going to be a short one this week. And then we've we've stopped recording and been like, who let... How did these 63 minutes of meandering thoughts end up recorded on this computer? So, scorecards in brief. <laughs> scorecards in briefs? Sure. Let me just sure. remove my pants. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> Time to bring back the intimate voice. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. I will never do that again. And that sound you hear is the sound of people going to iTunes Tuning to write out. negative <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> reviews. Oh, oh, oh. We're coming apart at the seams here, folks. That sound you just heard was uh, Alan's microphone attempting to make out with his sweater. Ha! <laughs> huh, what was I going to say about scorecards? Who even knows? I, I I don't. I do actually know oh, what great. I was going to say. Um, I don't I don't know about uh, you, Alan, or, or any of our listeners, but I uh, nominally played baseball mm. in high school, and what that means certainly not <laughs> is that I, I I I was issued a uniform, sure, and and attended all of the games <laughs> with the team, sure, and I had a glove and could, in theory. Have been put into the game. It would it would have been allowed. I was right. on the roster. Right. Uh, but due to a a low skill level situation, <laughs> uh, I ended up being the scorekeeper ah. for the team, um, which actually was a fantastic experience and uh, something that I rediscovered recently. Ah. Uh, towards the end of this baseball season, uh, I got a scorebook and um, uh, started keeping score as I would listen to the games on the radio. Great. And I was reminded that uh, it's a really, really active, fun way of of taking in a baseball game. Yeah. Uh, because it allows you to do this thing that the sports page, sports page used to enable, which is to give a game uh, physical mass. Right. It, 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 it's like, um, it's like a, a, a game diary. Yeah. That includes every single detail of the game. Yeah, it's a roadmap. It's yeah, exactly. And you can really go back and look and say, oh, the, um, that's when Munenori Kawasaki drove in Jose Bautista. Oof. Uh, which unfortunately I that game. happened many times. <laughs> <laughs> All against us. Against us. Um, but but I have decided to to set as a personal goal uh, for next year to to keep score. Um, I don't want to say in every single game that Good. I watch. <laughs> I was going to recommend against saying that. Yeah, but I it is something that I would like to reintroduce into my into my life because sure, um, it it's really nice to have a physical record of the amount of time that I spend <laughs> well watching television. And that's interesting because uh, you you and I often talk about um, writing mm-hmm. and and what it is that what it takes to uh, what you know. Both of us are people who. Uh, uh, like to spend a little bit of time every day writing something down. Um, yeah. Often for this show, often other stuff. You are uh, often writing storytelling things. But we've both reflected on the fact that the physical act of having put pen to paper and having something to look back on as as done makes time valuable to us in ways that um, otherwise, it wouldn't be. Yes, and that's a strange thing. I mean, it, it, it's not like I, th- I think that there are lots of more um, temporal things that I find valuable, <laughs> less physical things that I find valuable. Uh, 
that that even though they don't have a a physical record, I still enjoy. But there is something to that. Um, uh, not only has a game passed in front of your eyes, but you have a record now, which is a concrete way that you know that this has happened. It is an experience that you can now reference back to. Yes, and it can be your own record of -hmm. what happened. Because since we don't have a sports page anymore, and since increasingly the the, uh, write-ups of games are um, these sort of empty blow-by-blow... accounts posted by mlb.com beat writers right um which which contain almost no analysis right um it's a it can be a really nice way for yourself of saying no this is how i experienced this game and you can write down little things like here is where um joe angel made a really stupid homophobic joke at casey willett's (laughs) expense um and or fuck 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 (laughs) (laughs) yeah Exactly. Or you can say, uh, you know, this moment um, in the in the top of the seventh inning against Toronto, Chris Tillman became the first Orioles pitcher since uh, whatever it was, 2005 to throw 200 innings. Yeah. Um, And 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 that's nice to 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 have and to be able to keep and and to be able to look down on paper and and say, like, uh, when that happened, I was sitting on an Amtrak train coming back from D.C., uh, I had just gone down there for the day for a meeting, and and that was the moment in my life that I was in when this moment happened for the Orioles. That's what I really like about it is that um, we, you know, so much of the experience of watching the Orioles for me is uh, not only about what's happening in that season, but what's happening in my own life in relationship to it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think of... Uh, you know, certain Orioles games the way or certain times in Orioles seasons the way I think of certain songs yeah. um, and actually do have, just to tie it all back together, <laughs> uh, certain very strong Proustian memories of watching games and having the sort of emotional connection to those games. Yeah. And a diary then of that experience that is not just um, the sports page, but is in fact something far more personal than the sports page is a very nice way of recording um you know not just uh what chris tillman was doing but how i was feeling about it (laughs) yes exactly exactly and and because i was on an amtrak train say coming back from this meeting which was um you know an opportunity to talk to somebody in a field that i'm hoping to move into uh, and that I was apprehensive about before it happened, but ended up feeling pretty good about. Um, it's nice to remember that that's where I was yeah. when this happened. Not for any necessarily particular reason, but just because that's that's what was going on. And this was something that I that I felt compelled to spend my time on and, and to do. Um, and then it also makes me think back and remember, you know, the audio kept going in and out because 4G is not a real thing. <laughs> um, and... You know, I was I was sitting in a window seat on the right side of the train, and I was looking out, and uh, it's uh, it was nighttime, so you couldn't really tell exactly where you were at any given point. But because I've taken that trip so many times, I remember what the lights look like. It you know, as you're going through Wilmington, for example, right? Um, and yeah, and that was that was Chris Tillman's last start of the 2013 season that uh, I, I experienced in that moment, and. It's nice to, to feel those things and to have something that reminds you of that. So 
what I think would be awesome is if any of our listeners are interested um, uh, as we as we look ahead to the 2014 season, um, what I would love to start doing is uh, keeping score during various games and then putting up a picture mm-hmm. of uh, of my scorecard. And if others would like to do the same, we can uh, you know we can compare those and, and throw them all up on the tumblers. Throw them up on our website, bemorons.com. Um, and it, it would just be very interesting to see what stuck out for you in your own practice of keeping score uh, versus what might stick out to me or what might stick out to Alan. It's funny um, that you just said in your own practice. We got a little yogic there for a second, which I think is apropos. I am all about the word practice lately. I, <laughs> I can't get enough. It's 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 such a cool and it's a little new agey, practice? I know, but You're talking about practice, <laughs> practice. It's just such a nice way of thinking of of. Talking about practice? <laughs> You've seen that clip? No. Oh. Uh, our, our basketball fans, I hope, will know my reference, but there's an amazing Allen Iverson clip oh. when someone asked him about missing a practice, and he just, like, he is just flabbergasted. He's just <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about? This is the game I love. Uh-huh. This is the game I would die for. You're talking about practice? <laughs> it's very good. Um, now... Before we before we get out of here, Alan Smith, mm. uh, I feel like people should know about the music that we use on this program. <laughs> they should. Because maybe they're sitting there in their homes listening on their, their Apple devices, which make it oh so easy <laughs> to submit reviews of this program in the iTunes store. Maybe, maybe they're the sort of people who um, would love to give an iTunes review about the Baltimore Ons podcast. Would love to give us a five-star review, but are worried that we are piraters and are stealing people's content without proper attribution. Well, they're a little bit right about that. (laughs) Because I I don't, I still don't know because I I believe ignorance is a defensible position in court. (laughs) I have bad news for you. Exactly what the policy on this is. But we do use music, and I'd like to tell you what it is, so that if you enjoy mm. listening to it on this show, you might go out and buy it. I said properly attributed, not legally <laughs> owned. <laughs> anyway, our theme song, which actually was created for the express purpose of being used on this idiotic show, uh, is is the Baltimore's theme song, written and performed by Marshall York. Uh huh. In between segments, yes, we tend to use a little bit of business that I call. Nope. That they... Okay. (laughs) God damn it. A song called Birdland by the band Weather Report Uh from the album Heavy Weather. Yes. And last but not least, playing literally right now Uh is the song Kicking My Heart Around, which is by the Black Crows. All right. Now, Sam. Yeah. um, The Twitter handle, Suspetus Family Barbecue. A, a fantastic Twitter account to follow if you don't already. Has a question for us, um, which is, well, he didn't exactly pose this question, but I am reinterpreting his tweet as a question. So this, this you would say, maybe is an is an outro with apologies to Cespedes Family Barbecue. <laughs> Indeed. It's not a retweet, it's an MT. <laughs> what do you call Henry Urudia during the seventh inning sketch? Stretch. Seventh inning sketch, though, uh, a great name for a baseball-themed comedy group. That's true. 
Wow. Um, I, I don't know what you call Henry Yerudia under those circumstances. Yerudia, Yerudia, Yerudia for the home team. Because if they don't win, it's a shame. And they won't, because Henry Yerudia <laughs> is their full-time DH. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com.